So good to be here today. And I wanted to share with you this morning a few pictures from a trip that we took to Italy. Um, it seems like a whole, a whole long time ago. It was before we had kids, and these pictures Steve took. Um, and Italy was just beautiful. If you don't know, if you don't know my background, I was actually born in Italy. My parents were missionaries in Italy, and so I lived there till I was six years old. And then we moved to Guinea, West Africa. And then after my finish. Uh, parents finished their work there. Now they're back in Italy. So we haven't gone back to see them yet, but I love Italy. It just holds just this precious place in my heart. And we went and we saw these tourist attractions, all these really cool cathedrals and, you know, the Tower of Pisa and all this stuff. And um, when you go to these big attractions, there's often like a main road to get there. And you see a lot of people on that main road and a lot of tourists. And it was really fun. But my favorite part of that trip is when we got off the main roads. And we found these little narrow streets, often with cobblestones. And it wasn't flashy, but we'd find these little restaurants, like this one. These little restaurants where the locals went. And that's where you found the good food, just the authentic Italian food. And my mom learned to cook in Italy. And so I grew up on Italian food, and I love, love Italian food. And if, if you know anything about Italian cuisine, you know it's very simple. So it's like the opposite of French food, <laughs> which is very complicated. It's very simple, very few ingredients, but they're all about the quality of the ingredient, the quality of the fruit. The next pictures show uh, the vineyards and the olive trees, these are pictures here that Steve took of uh, the, little, the little grapes as they're just coming out. And it's all about the quality of the fruit and the quality of the ingredients. And today we're going to continue our conversation um, through the, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to talk about the way of Jesus. And we're going to talk about the road of Jesus. And often it doesn't resemble that main tourist attraction road. Often it resembles that small, narrow, cobblestone road where you find those hidden gems. And we're going to talk about the fruit of our lives. We're going to talk about the quality of the fruit that comes from our lives. So let's, let's pray as we begin. Dear God, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for this specific teaching. In spirit, I pray that you would help us to understand what you mean by these words, Lord, and that you would get your message across to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been very countercultural, both in biblical times and in our times. So Jesus talked about a selfless kind of love, a love that looked out for the interests of others, and a love that was present even towards enemies, even when people mistreated you. He says, love them back. Jesus talked about living with integrity and honesty. He talked about giving to the poor. He talked about prayer and fasting, this idea of submitting ourselves to God and yielding to his desires. He talked about setting God as our first and foremost priority in life over the treasures of, of this life. And he talked about not judging others. And I think in any culture you go to, those are countercultural things. Those are 
not our natural inclinations. Those are hard things. And so we're towards the end of his sermon, and Jesus is reflecting on this countercultural message that he's been giving. And this is what he says. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And this is not a statement meant to exclude or to cast judgment. Rather, this is a very sad observation that Jesus is making. He's saying, what I am calling you to is a very different way of life. It's different than the norm. It's countercultural. And it's with great sorrow, not discrimination, that Jesus says, many won't find it. It's a narrow it's a narrow road. It's cool is to look back in the passage right before that that Micah spoke on last, last week. In verse 7, he said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So the invitation is open to all. The invitation is open to all. And Jesus promises if you seek it, you will find it. So God's not playing hide-and-seek with us here. He's not trying to make it hard. He says, if you seek it, you will find it. But you must seek it. You must go after it. Jesus continues in verse 15. And he says, watch out for those false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. And by their fruits, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So here Jesus speaks of a prophet. In very general terms, a general definition of a prophet is someone who speaks God's truth to others. So generally speaking, if you're a Christian, you're a prophet. You speak God's truth to others. You're sharing God with others. You're sharing your faith and your experiences with others. And unfortunately, people often claim to be something that they're not. Um, Now, if you have kids, that happens a lot, and it's kind of cute. So like when my little girl, I bet you can probably guess which one, when my little girl promised me I did not get the Nutella jar out of the pantry with chocolate all over her face, like I had a hard time not laughing. It's kind of cute, you know, because it's so obvious. When adults do similar things, it's not so cute, and it's kind of hard sometimes. And Jesus says it's by their fruit that you will recognize them. So their fruit is, is what they do, how they interact, their character, their lifestyle, the way they react to things. So it's not just about who we say we are, but it's also about how we live in our fruit. Jesus continues in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a sobering thought. In fact, if you, if you spend a minute thinking about that, that's heartbreaking. And when Jesus speaks often of the kingdom of heaven um, in the Gospels, and it refers both to God's reign on earth and God's reign in heaven. So both in present tense and in the future tense. So Jesus came in to usher the kingdom of God and, and often called the kingdom of heaven. And so his reign is both on earth and in heaven, present and future. And, and there's great blessing in being a part of this kingdom, both here on earth and um, in the future. And so the idea of people not entering the kingdom of heaven is really hard and a really sad thing to talk about, especially when we're thinking about that future sense. And it may raise up a lot of questions for us. So I'm, I'm going to approach two questions that it kind of raises up. Um, that I think of immediately. First, I can see someone asking, well, can I be sure of my salvation then? Can I be sure that I'm saved? If here they're doing miracles and, and Jesus is saying no, then what about, what about me? And to that I can say, yes, you can be sure of your salvation. Romans 10, 9 it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's no question about that. 1 John 5.11 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son, Jesus so really what Jesus is speaking here, was speaking to here, is that he's saying that lip service without true following God, without true transformation, is not true faith. So just saying you're following Jesus, even if you do some pretty cool things, without truly committing to him, is not the same thing. But when we believe in Jesus and when we commit to him, we can be very confident and sure of our salvation. Another question that may be posed, and is a little bit harder, is, well, why would God turn people away from the kingdom of heaven? Why would God turn people away? And I can say he doesn't want to. I can say that confidently. And I can say that he doesn't turn people away who are truly seeking him. Again, he says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. The invitation has been extended to all. And so it doesn't mean that once we're saved, we'll have the answer to all our questions. (laughs) I still have a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of things that I'm still working to understand, and, and I've been a Christian my whole life. I've studied my whole life. I have a degree in biblical text. Like, I have dedicated a lot of time to understanding Scripture and, and understanding God. And yet, there are some things, some answer, questions that we don't have complete answers to yet. Even in that state, I am 
There's one thing that I know for sure, and that gives me such great peace and confidence when I look at this, when I look at this question. One thing is that God loves people, and God, love, God wants to save people. God loves people, and God wants to save people. It's all over Scripture. Isaiah 45, verse 8, he says, You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide and salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And in verse 22, he says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Luke 19, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In 1 John 3, 1, see what, and I love this one, this is my favorite, I think. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. God is love, and God loves people, and God wants to save people. That's why he sent part of himself to die on the cross so that he can offer that to us. So as we read this passage that's pretty difficult, a couple reminders. We're not the judge. And thank God for that. I don't have to save anyone, and I don't have to condemn anyone. That's not my job. But rather, my job as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is to share the hope and the love that I have found in Jesus. And if I'm sharing hope and love, then I better be doing that in a hopeful and loving way. Because it doesn't make sense to be unkind or judgmental or harsh when you're trying to share hope and love. Jesus also says in this section, he says, Only the one who does the will of my Father will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to remind us that this is not a call to earn our salvation by, our, by good works. We have all fallen short. We're all imperfect. But rather, this is an observation that our actions, what we do, reveals the transformation in our hearts. It reveals what God is doing in our hearts. So if, if we begin to yield our hearts to Jesus, if we commit to Jesus, his Holy Spirit starts to transform us. And to reflect his character and his nature. And so then the fruit we bear, what we do, reflects what's inside. So this begs the question, what do our actions say about our heart? What does the fruit we bear say about the transformation going on inside of us? Galatians 5.22 most of you have probably heard this one. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so the Spirit 
God's spirit is creating these things in our hearts. In verse 25, I love this language. He says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Be attuned to the spirit. Be um, following and imitating the spirit. Let us walk as the spirit walks. And note in here that it's the spirit who produces this fruit in our life. I thought that was interesting. So I can't work harder necessarily to produce all this fruit in my life. I have my part to do, but it's the spirit inside of me that's causing that transformation. So we should be asking the spirit to transform us. I want to I now talk a little bit about how do we pursue this. So if the spirit is the one transforming us, how do we pursue this? And in John 15, there's a verse that we named this church, um, that we use to name this church. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And then he says, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So wherever you're at on your faith journey, I want to invite you to engage God. Engage a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So this is an invitation to live in community with God, to live in close partnership with God, with us in him and his spirit in us, and to have this beautiful connection with God. And he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and that's because a life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those, really it's impossible for us to do all on our own. But with God, God does that. That is possible. God does that in us. And then in verse 9 of that same chapter, verse 8, says, This is my, to, to my Father's glory, that you bear fruit, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how we live reflects what's in our hearts, and how we live demonstrates whether or not Jesus has been changing our hearts, and whether or not we belong to him. And just to be abundantly clear what that should look like, in verse 12, Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's what it should look like. Love each other as I have loved you. God is love. Jesus is the embodiment of that love. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Like it's all about love. Without love, we can't be his disciples. In fact, in John 13, 35, again, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So church, that's our call. That's our mission, to love one another. That's the fruit that we are called to bear for God. And that is a beautiful, beautiful mission. I love that. So as we finish here, I want to say a couple things. 
I want to speak specifically to the Christian here. So to the person who's already committed to Jesus. And I want to invite us to a time of self-reflection. Ask yourself, does my life reflect Jesus? Do the do people around me know that I'm a Jesus follower by the fruits that they see? Can they see love in my life? Can they see joy? Can they see peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in my life? Do, does how I speak and my interactions reveal that? My decisions and my character. And, and a telling question for me is to even narrow that question down, and it stings a little bit. And I ask myself, does my family see that? Does my husband see that? Do my kids? Because oftentimes, I present my worst self to them because I know they'll love me no matter what, right? And so if I ask myself, well, does that, does my family see those characteristics in me? That's a telling question. So we're all on different different places in this in this journey and different levels of transformation. And um, I would venture to say that no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long God's been working on your heart, we all have room to grow. We're none of us are perfect, and we all need to invite the Spirit to continue that transformation in us, to remain in Jesus and invest our re- in our relationship with God. And a good place to start might be, you know, tonight or tomorrow morning to ask yourselves, well, what, what fruit of the Spirit can I demonstrate today when I'm at home or when I go to work? What fruit of the Spirit can I demonstrate? Or in reflection on what happened that day, what fruit of the Spirit do I need to ask for more of? You know, do I need to pray for? Because I was lacking in that today. And you've maybe heard it said, well, don't pray for patience. Because you know what happens. You know, God gives you all these opportunities to be patient. And I kind of laughed at that this week as I realized, you know, that's us being impatient with God about giving us patience. Like, we don't want him to give it to us slowly, you know, over the course of time. We want it all right now. We want to be transformed. And so I would say pray even for patience, you know, and God's going to do some powerful things. God is going to do some powerful things in our life when we ask for his transformation. So pray for transformation and then look for opportunities as they present themselves, because they always do, and choose to walk in step with the Spirit. Choose to to demonstrate those fruits of the Spirit. It's a beautiful way to live. Not easy, but it's a beautiful way to live. And to those of you here who are on the fence about following Jesus, or or to those of you who have committed to God and then kind of stepped back because of some hurtful experience, Um, that you've had at the hands of Christians or at the hands of the church. I want to say this. I'm sorry for Christians who have not borne good fruit. I'm sorry for Christians who've been unkind and unloving and harsh and judgmental 
I'm sorry, because that's not what God meant for us to be like. So I invite you to not let imperfect people keep you away from a perfectly good and loving God. Don't give them that power, because there is rich blessing in knowing God. There is richness there that you don't want to miss out on. Being a Christian is about knowing hope and knowing love and joy. It's about a relationship with the Almighty God who desires to heal broken, who desires to bind up hurts, to empower the powerless, and to give purpose and meaning to his children. Just as our fruits reflect our hearts, the fruits of the Spirit reflect God's heart. God is loving. God is joyful. God is peaceful. God is patient. God is kind. God is good. God is gentle. God is faithful. And God is full of self-control. And that is a God worth knowing. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for who you are, for your character. God, sometimes we're overwhelmed by your love and by your mercy, and we just want to say thank you. And at other times, God, we are overwhelmed by the things that we're going through, Lord, the hardships and just life when it happens and it's crazy. And God, we come to you knowing that you are the source of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, Lord, that you are the God of comfort and that you want to rescue us. You want to be in relationship with us. And God, we just ask that you would be near, and we thank you because we know that you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.